Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Dave Butler. I'm Grace Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This Still. <laughs> it's like a surprise. Like it really you is a surprise. Like... Every time I'm like, oh, my brain, like it's just heard it in this very spot for like so many different years. But not trick. that we're sad about it. Like, not, I mean, I am sad, Emily. I'm sad, but you know. She's watching. Knows, yeah, she's, she's like, why are you so sad? Why are you like, sad? What? But um, this is Don't Miss This. I can't remember if I said that or not. This is our scripture study podcast. We move through. The scriptures, just page at a time. We're finding all the things that we love in there and the things that we think you don't want to miss. And um, that's something that's super cool about the scriptures is there's uh, every time you go through. I was thinking this morning, I started, well, we were talking beforehand that one of the chapters we're in today, 1 Corinthians 15, I read it and I was like, why don't I have at the front of my head for someone to say, hey, uh, what's one of your favorite chapters of scripture? You know, oh, 1 Corinthians 15. But then, like, I forgot all about it. Me too. And then I read it today and I was like, why is nobody talking It's like the about, best kept yeah, secret in right. all of the like, New why? Testament. It's like hidden yeah. in the Corinthians. You <laughs> That's know? why I forget. It's because it's by 13 maybe, which is such a killer oh, chapter. true. And I'll tell you how I associate 15. 1 Corinthians 15 has like the verses in it about baptisms for the dead. And then it also has the verses about celestial, terrestrial, like resurrections and stuff mm. like that. And so I think like I'm, like that's oh that's a scripture mastery chapter or something You're like, like that. trained to go there right but he actually uses those two as examples for something much bigger that he's trying to teach which is super cool and it's like whoa so it's kind of fun and maybe it's my brain because sometimes i turn down roads in lehigh where i've lived for the last 15 years and i'm like oh my gosh what an awesome road i've never been on this in my life and jenny's like we used to live on it or like something, you know, it's like, cause I just don't have a memory to keep that in my head. So, um, it's fun. It's, fun. it's like all these like favorites, it's exciting. Old, yeah, yeah. These old favorites. You're like, I didn't even know I loved you. So we're, uh, it's, we're finishing up that first letter to the Corinthians today and, uh, 14, 15 and 16 and just some really, really 15 get most excited for you might as well. And then 14 and 16 are good too, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> didn't want them, no, to, didn't want stop them to feel bad. I didn't want them to feel bad about themselves. Um, and uh, we're just coming off of that that section on spiritual gifts, and particularly that greatest gift of all, which is charity. And then him presenting those. And now he's almost going to start into these sections right here. So remember, we're coming off of him teaching about those, and then now almost how do I how do I use them? Right? Like what's it? What's the a gift has been given. So now now what? Now what are you going to do with it? So that's kind of where we're we're jumping in for today. And it's even almost like that's how he wants you to begin thinking when he starts in chapter 14. Because chapter 13 is the way of love. Like it is going to unpack what it actually looks like to live a life of love. And he actually starts chapter 14 in verse 1 reminding you like oh actually the life you want to live is a life of love. Yeah. Like follow after charity. That's your goal. Right. This is your life is like mm. living in love. Mm. And you love it extra because what he's about to explain, you need to understand the foundation is in love. 
Because it's almost like he wants to be like, listen, living the life of love is actually not living a life alone. Like it's not living in solidarity. It's actually living in connection. And he goes and he starts unpacking and you're just like, oh my gosh, it's so good. And maybe we should say this first because of that first verse where he says, follow after charity and desire those spiritual gifts. Why? That ye may prophesy. And I think initially a lot of us would see that um, for that word and think, oh, you mean tell the future? You yeah. know? And like the way Paul's going to use the word prophesy in this, we would want to unpack that a little bit to say, um, to speak words of encouragement, mm. to breathe in hope, even to say to somebody, which this would be a prophecy the way we think about it, everything's going to be okay. That's a prophecy, but it's rooted in Jesus. And that's why I can say it. Does that make sense? So it's like, it's almost like this, that word he's using. I just, I wonder how other, I should have looked at like how other Bible translations um, say that. And maybe I can look that up right now. Look how fast I am. Um, Oh, now it wants me to update my app. And I'll say this, I'll say this while you're looking is something that I love about it is automatically with that word prophecy, it like leads my mind to the spirit. And it almost, Mm. like, when I read it, it makes me think, like, oh, living the life of love is actually speaking with the Spirit. Yeah. And what is the Spirit going to guide you to say? And what's interesting about that is because of just that oneness of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, right? We're just like, if I were to speak what the Spirit said, what I'm actually going to speak is what God would say in this situation, what the Savior would say in this Mm. situation. Like, if the Spirit's going to say it into a situation— then that's, those are the words of God. Those are the words of counsel. Those are the words of encouragement. Encouragement. Those are the words of optimism and hope. Those are the words of correction, whatever they are, whatever words the Spirit gives. It's as if God is saying, these are the words I would have spoken if I were standing right there in this, in, in this situation and mm. in this time. Um, one other translation just says this, and then he says, most of all, try to proclaim his truth, oh. which I guess is what we just said. Try to proclaim yeah. what he would have said. Follow after love and seek spiritual gifts so that you can say and do what he would have done in that place. Which is so powerful to me because it leads right into what he's going to talk about in verse three of the reason you're doing that is actually for other people. Yeah. He's like, let me help you live a life for others. Like, let me like give you a foundation of that's how you should be thinking. That's how you should be acting. That's how you should be speaking is like that. Yeah, because verse two talks about those speaking in tongues, which he says, and there's a a lot of cultural context with speaking in tongues, but it was seen by the Corinthian saints as something that was almost a, um, whoa, you can do that type of thing. So that speaking in tongues, Paul kind of says in this chapter, if you speak in tongues, that's probably super thrilling for you. And that's great because there are some practices and some spiritual experiences that are great just for you individually. But like you were saying, the focus of this is, but those are great. And I, but have those individual experiences so that you can encourage and strengthen and, you know, wherever yeah. other people. Well, because exactly, because what he's going to go to and what he's going to say is like, listen, I need you to remember, like in three it says, but he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. And it just makes me want to stop. And all of a sudden he's like, listen, you speaking with the spirit, what that's going to look like 
if you want me to help you understand, that's going to look like speaking strength to someone. That's going to look like speaking encouragement. That is going to look like comforting someone. This is what it's supposed to be. This is how a relationship looks like if you are living the way of love is it's actually founded here. And it just like, there's something so powerful in me that when Paul thinks of the church, that's what he thinks it looks like to be a part of, Mm. you know? Yeah. He's like, wait, let me show you what your relationship should look like in the church. It should look like encouragement and comfort and strength. And it just is something so powerful to think. He's like, this is your role, actually. Let me help you figure this out. And it gets so cute because he keeps kind of unpacking a little bit throughout that whole chapter. But in verse 26, um, he just wants to say, and it's so precious that he says, is when you come together, every single one of you has something. And it's, this is like kind of a theme I feel like that Paul wants to have throughout this whole book. But it's so powerful when he's like, listen, one of you is going to have a psalm. One is going to have doctrine. One's going to have a tongue. One's going to have a revelation. One's going to have an interpretation. All of you are going to have something to offer. Maybe you sing really well. Maybe you speak very well. Maybe you are going to like understand the scripture super, super good. And then he just says, don't let yourself forget that the purpose of you having this is so you could build up other people. Yeah. Like that's going to be your job, you know? Yeah. His, the verses that lead up to that that are so cool. He says, if all prophesied, you know, Mm. verse 24. Yeah. And let me just read this, this other, that, you know, exhort how you want to do it. I mean, that verse three, <laughs> that verse three in the message goes of like, goes like this. Um, uh, oh, when you proclaim his truth in everyday speech, you're letting others in. You're letting others in on the truth so that they can grow and be strong and experience his presence with you. So again, that word prophesy has a lot. There's a lot to it, but he just says this. If all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not into your congregation or into your home, or into your friend group. Um, He is convinced of all. And thus, verse 25, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. And I, I want that experience to happen again and again and again and again. I want someone to come into my circles, into my church, and I want them to I want the result to be because of all of our words and all the things that we say and the things that we do. I want them to say, I now know more about God's heart than I knew before because mm. I see him in you. Like, I, what if, what if that were the end? Like, because if I were doing that one job all the time, wait, now I know you're feeling it because yeah. I took the words <laughs> out of your mouth. Yes. So like you yes. say, you say what no, you're no, like. No, keep going, keep going. It's- no, I just, I just like, so every week I do this thing that's like, who won church? And it's like, what was the best line that happened on Sunday? You know, like what was your favorite one-liner or moment or something? And somebody wrote in this week and they said, um, I'm so happy our job's so simple, love one another. And it's just how, that's actually liberating and thrilling to think my job is super simple. That like, my job really is to prophesy and everything that means to people spiritually on my own, there's some things I'm going to work on and there's spiritual gifts and everything, but my interactions with other people, you know, for the most part, except for those few people that like the, that are put in my care, you know, yeah, to like censure and correct and stuff. There's not many of them, but for everybody else, it's, 
It's so simple. It's that. And he's like, and wait, it's actually going to look different and that's okay. We want it to. That's why we have other people, you know? And it makes me, I coached lacrosse this past year, kind of out of nowhere. I just accidentally started coaching lacrosse. I don't know how that happened. What do you mean out of nowhere? I was not qualified. (laughs) You're a great coach. I was not qualified. I just became a lacrosse coach. And it's so interesting when I read this because it automatically makes me start thinking team. Because he's like, wait, I actually need all of you to come and show up with something different. Because if you're building a team, it's not going to work if you have the same player playing every single position. It just isn't going to work. Yeah. And so all of a sudden he's like, hey, actually, I actually need you to all be different. And it's interesting because when you think about a team, it automatically, like you start thinking, hey, there's different roles for every single person. Yeah. And if you've ever played a sport, you know that the funnest job is actually playing the sport. Right. It doesn't matter what position it is. As long as you're playing, as long as you're off the bench, it's fun. The right. most boring position you could possibly be playing is the seat on the bench. Yeah. Because you're like, wait, what? You just have to watch? Yeah. That is terrible. And when I read this, it makes me think, like, it's almost like Paul is looking at you and saying, hey, listen, get off the bench. Mm. Start doing something. Start showing up to church. And then it's even better because we sit on benches at church. <laughs> and it's almost like Paul wants to look and be like, listen, Get off the bench. Yeah. I need you. And I need you to do this differently because you're going to bring a different aspect of the spirit than someone else is going to bring on Sunday. Yeah. So when you show up to church, like me, I'll be honest, usually my shy self shows up to church and I really do just go sit on the bench. Right. And then I just sit there for the whole entire time. I move to a different bench for Sunday school and then I get up and I go. And it makes me think that Paul all of a sudden is inviting you to a way of life that's like, wait, get off the bench. Yeah. If you're sitting there, we've only got 10 on the field. Yeah. Or four on the court. Or I'm not going to go through every single, I'm not going to go through everything. <laughs> really brave of every, you. every single sport in the history of the earth, right? But yeah. Yeah. The idea of, I love that. That's so rad. Yeah. Just like bring something different. And it, like, this is the little, oh, yeah, worksheet that goes for this week. And it makes me want to start thinking. Sometimes I show up to church and I know that's what I'm going to do because I just have done it so many times. And this all of a sudden made me think, what if I started going to church beforehand and I was intentional with things I could do before I got there that would get me off my bench? Mm. Like that I was like, oh wait, actually, what if I like decide to not stay with my roommates this week at church? And I just say, I'm going to go sit by someone else. Well, how would that change my church experience? Yeah. And it's interesting because um, Gene R. Cook in the November enzyme, he has this, he goes through this talk. That's where you find it is the enzyme, but it's a talk. And he points out, how many are there? Seven. Seven different ways that you can invite the spirit into meetings, which to me, after reading this, just I just want to think, oh, he's actually giving you seven different ways to live the way of love at church. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, oh, this is actually how you bring the spirit to love individually. And he goes through, he has seven different ones. And it makes me think like, oh, what if I actually started and maybe just as an individual i'm like okay i want to think about different experiences i've had at church that have been meaningful to me like when at church have i had like a moment that i heard a testimony that like impacted me or when have i had this moment where music changed the way i saw things like how have different people impacted me but also maybe there's this moment that you're like you know what i want to use this paper to get me off the bench Mm -hmm. at church and then all of a sudden it's like okay who could i pray for right now You know, or who, like what spiritual experience could I share or who could I ask about their spiritual experience 
Or what music could I play or listen to that would get me in that mindset of action, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you really could use this worksheet in two different ways. One, if you're studying by yourself, a really cool thing could be to kind of remember, oh, when are some of the times that these things have happened for me? And I like that because when they've happened, it's because someone else has gotten off the bench. Like that's what you're remembering. Yeah. You're remembering what an impact another person had on you. And we can go through these and, and think of some like that. Like like before, right before we pushed record and started talking, like I was telling Grace about a testimony I heard from a man in my ward growing up that I, to this day, like <laughs> it had a significant impact on what I believe. I can, I can remember it. I remember his name. His name is Calvin Griffin. And he stood at the pulpit and on a fast Sunday and, and he bore his witness of his belief in God. And, and it was like, he got off the bench literally. Right. And use that. So you're, you're, you could use it and be thinking about, Oh, here are times that people have gotten off the bench for me. But then I love the other way of using this worksheet is okay. Who will I pray for? Yeah. You know, who could I testify to? What scripture could I, has been impactful for me this week that I could share and, and use, right? And almost like a, a plan to get off the bench. So there's two ways that you could use this worksheet um, that I think would be really cool. And I just love the idea of like, if you feel bored with church or with the gospel, it just makes me want to say, maybe you're accidentally sitting on the bench right now. Yeah. And the good news is, there's a spot for you on the field. Yeah, that's so awesome. You know? And I, I was telling Grace this story again before we started of, I heard Elder Bednar talk one time about his wife and something that she did. And I, did, I thought of it today and I was like, oh man, I remember after hearing it, it inspiring me to want to do the same. And then I didn't remember it again until now that he said that she will just sit there, you know, and look around the room and she will listen. Like she will listen and and just wait for a prompting of who needs her or what should be done. And what a powerful practice, especially for somebody who maybe is a little bit more shy or something, to have a chance to just like, okay, let me look around the room and see who needs something from me this week. Who should I reach out to? I, and I remember following through in that practice when I heard it and and it was interesting, some of the things that I was prompted to do, like print out this, you know, this talk and go, you know, hmm. give it to so-and-so and, or whatever, you know, whatever it was, or text this person or, you know, make sure you write when the amen is said, you walk over and have a chance to say hello to, to that person. Like, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what the Lord does, but I think that's such a, it's invigorating to think of yeah. spending my time. Like and that. doesn't it make you so excited? Like yeah. that I'm just like, oh wait, I actually do. I want to be a part of something like that. Yeah, the talks can be so boring and it can be my least favorite hymns and church yeah. could still be thrilling. Yeah. Yeah. So these next verses are just part of it um, in the second section. And uh, the, he says, he's talking about instruments right here in chapter 14. And he just says, he talks about life without, things without life that give sound in verse seven, a pipe or a harp or something. And except they give a distinction in the sounds, nobody will know. Or verse eight, he says, if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for the battle? And 
It's interesting because all of those instruments can make noises. But if they make a particular sound, then it either inspires people or it moves people or or it gives direction to people. We had this um, guide who was in Israel with us named Dair, and I think we've talked about him before, who would play a trumpet every time it was time to go. Every time it was time to load on the bus, he would play this song, and everybody knew, like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do, is when I hear that, it did something. You could just, like, blow in it, and it would just be like, okay, it's making a noise, or you could make a certain type of song and it would bring about a different response, right? Like I was thinking if somebody were, you could either blow in it and say, like, yeah, it makes noise, but what if you played the Star Spangled Banner or something like that? It would bring, it would bring about a memory. It would bring about a feeling. It would bring about a, a thought. And, and he says in here, there are so many kinds of voices. This is verse 10 in the world. And the question is, what kind of music am I going to play? Like what kind of sound am I going to? To make? How am I going to use my words and how am I going to use my individual gift? So it goes along really well with that. And there's this phrase and um, that's, someone told me this is a phrase in, in Germany, that the tone makes the music. And the idea is that the way that you play it makes the song, right? Like you don't just like, it's not a math equation. It's, it's an art. It's not like a, it's not a science, I guess. It's an art. It's like the way that I use that instrument can either be just a weird sound, as he says here, or it can be something beautiful. And I think it begs the question for all of us, like, you know, how, what, am, what, am, what am I using my voice for in the world and in my circles right now? Well, and I don't even remember where I heard this or someone, I was talking to someone about it and they, I just remember so clearly them saying like, oh, like you actually really can like speak life to someone. Mm. You can, that's something that like you have the potential to do is in moments when they are so down and so sad, like are you entering into that story and speaking life into them? Yeah. And all of a sudden it makes me think like, oh, actually that's speaking with the spirit. Yeah. You know, and if you're going to take up, like, if you're going to have thoughts and ideas and all this stuff, I just kind of want to be like, oh, I actually hope that that's what I'm doing. Is that like when I enter into conversations that I'm intentional enough that I can think, oh, I hope I'm speaking with the spirit right now because he's going to have something a lot more specific, a lot more tender, a lot more intimate to say than I could by myself. Yeah. And I'm, you just, know? Yeah. And I'm just thinking about Yair coming with that trumpet. And I was like, you could either come and be annoying with it, or you can come and be super helpful with it, yeah. or super encouraging with it, or reach people that couldn't normally be reached because they're you know too far away. You just have the chance to do something like that. And I think I've said this story before that somebody gave me advice when I became when I became a bishop, and they just said, "Your job is to breathe hope into people's stories." Mm. And I was, and I I couldn't do that. That's what I thought when they said it. Like I can't fix marriages and I don't know how to solve all the problems with kids but I can bring Jesus into it and light and life and hope those are all synonyms for the Godhead any member of of the Godhead and I love when you said that like you can speak life into something that the very very beginning verses of the Bible are God spoke and something changed and something was different and if that same spirit of God is in me 
then the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that put the sun in orbit is living in me. And Mm -hmm. I can speak life and light and hope into people's situations. That's so powerful to know that that is a potential in me. And so comforting. Because of him, right? Yeah. Obviously. Because I feel like there's so many moments that I'm like, well, I can't play the trumpet. You know, I like, I am not good. I can't even play the recorder. Don't get me started on the trumpet, right? It's like, (laughs) I can't go into this situation and have something great to say. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, actually that's not your job. Your job is to step in with the spirit and he is going to have so many more good things to say than you. Yeah. You know? Amen. You don't need to be good at the trumpet. It's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. <laughs> or the recorder. I was good at the recorder, though. Okay, well, I wasn't, so someone, you don't need to brag. <laughs> someone wants to do it. It's not that hard. There's like six buttons or whatever. Or holes. <laughs> you don't even know if there's buttons. You're bad at the recorder, too. <laughs> Look at that. I'm an excuse. Oh. <laughs> now everyone's so happy because it's finally so good. good Chapter what? 15. Oh, here we are. 14 was good. Everyone's like, what do you mean 14 wasn't yeah, good? Yeah, but you guys, you can't wait because this is so good um he starts out in chapter 15 it's like almost like i'm like kind of scared i'm like wait you have to read it because we might not do it justice it's so good um he starts out and from the very beginning of the chapter um he like invites you into this story of living in a better like in a better one and he's like listen Mm. i have taught you the gospel i've given you this message i have explained to you the good news um, and you received it, which means that you actually get to stand in that. Wherever you are in your story right now, you actually get to live in the good news. Yeah. That's what you get to be present for. Whatever is going on around you, don't you worry, because you're standing in the message of good news. Yeah. So let me start there, because before anything else, you need to remember that this is the beginning of your story. Yeah. You know, this is what you're surrounded with, is that good news. And... um. He starts talking about it and he's like, listen, I need you to remember that like you actually get to believe in someone as good as Jesus. That's what, that's the good news of all of this. And he goes through and it's like, he's like starting that story over one more time just to like jolt your memory. He's like, let me remind you that this is who he is. This is what he does. This is what he did for you in verses three and four. You can go through and read it. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again. Like he goes through it all. And then in the cutest verse of all time, he just says, and then after he's got his disciples, um, he got his apostles, James, and then the rest of the apostles. And then in verse eight, all of a sudden something switches in the narrative. And he says, "Um, and last of all, he was seen of me also. Mm. At the very end, he also got me. And maybe it's almost like this hint of like, And I don't even think I should have been included. You know? Yeah. He's like, this is crazy. And you, he like unpacks it a little more in verse nine, because he says, even he says, I am actually the least of the apostles. I need you to know that, that I am the very least. And And, and I feel bad that you would even call me an apostle. Right. It's like, I don't like measure up to that title. Yeah. Like you gave me, like a crown too big for my head or a uniform too big for me. Like I, I it's not going to work. Right. He's like, I was, I was picked last for the kickball team at recess. And I actually for don't even, reason. yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't even know if I should be on the team. 
Like that was a pity pick. And like, I don't even, and we all know how it feels to get picked last, you know? That he's just like I mean, this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're so good at the recorder and kickball. <laughs> <laughs> then all of a sudden he's like, listen, I need you to know that I am the very least. I am so unqualified. This is not who I thought I was going to be. I don't even know if I should step foot into this story because I don't know if that's where I belong. And then all of a sudden in verse 10, he says, but listen, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Because of him, because of who he is, because of what he did, I can be the very least in my head and he could choose me first. Mm. You know? Yeah. He's like, wait, I am so unqualified, but you still want me on your team. Yeah. And it's almost like when he wants to start out this chapter, he wants to say, let me show you what this actually looks like. Because the very one who saved the entire earth, the one who should be the very most important, him of all people, the one who shouldn't even realize that I exist, actually chose me and changed me. And then all of a sudden, it just makes you start thinking of how distinctly he did that with so many people before yeah and it's not just him right you know yeah it was peter and before that it was countless other prophets and apostles that like you're like wait actually he loves to choose the least yeah he's gonna keep doing it well it's interesting that from paul's perspective he looks at peter and he says and jesus picked peter naturally there's statues of him all over Rome. So of course he would have picked him. But if you, would have, if you would have interviewed Peter, Peter would say the same thing that Paul said. He's like, oh, Paul, you missed the first part of my story. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Whatever you see that I'm doing that you mark as good or meaningful or worthwhile, he says, it's because of the grace of God that's in me. Like, this is why I am the way that I am is because of him. And I just love to think about, I think you can think about it with Peter. You can think about it with Paul is that if you look at their story before Jesus for Peter, it is nothing significant. He's just a fisherman. No offense. Everyone that fishes is going to be so mad that I'm going to say this. That is the most boring job in the whole entire world. No one wants to read a book about a fisherman. No one cares about a fisherman's story because he does the same thing every single day on the same boat with the same nets. He's catching the same fish probably. Like it's nothing crazy. Yeah, that's ESPN 2 material. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe three. Most likely three. Three. It's, ESPN three. it's a three. I ain't ever seen a fishing competition on TV. <laughs> that is not a thrill, okay? You look at the same thing with Paul that you're just like, your life, his was a little more exciting, let's say that. <laughs> but also, like, I'm like, no one really thought it was particularly special, right? No one was like, oh, my gosh, like, that's, cr-. like, you're living, like, the, you're living the life. Yeah. We don't have that many stories about that. But once the story became Jesus's, it became thrilling. Yeah. And life-changing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't just a fisherman, and it wasn't just another guy. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait, actually, Jesus entered into your story and turned it into something better and bigger 
and more thrilling and exciting and more than you could ever have imagined. Yeah. It, and it's cool to think, like, this line, I actually use this line on Jenny all the time. <laughs> I am what I am, you know, as an excuse, <laughs> you know? Like, I'm just like, listen, you knew what I was when you picked me up, so that's on you. And <laughs> I was just thinking, this line could either be an excuse or it could be a witness, right? It, it could either be an excuse, like, sorry, I am what I am, or it could be a witness. I am what I am because of the grace of God. And that's actually our name for Jesus for this week on your posters is the grace is grace that, and it's neat to say the grace of God is Jesus. I am what I am because of grace that it's like grace has a name um, and it's Jesus and he came in. And so this, this is just, and that's the verse that you'll have to hang in your house this week. First, um, first Corinthians 15, 10, and just to see some of the Greek words of it, favor, felt, glory, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. That's so awesome because he actually says in that verse 10, um, he says, his grace, which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Mm. Like it kickstarted something in me. Not I, he says, but the grace of God, which was in me. What you've seen me do is all attributed to that grace of God that came in me. Um, so that is such an awesome name. You might end up leaving this one up for two weeks. I don't even know what next week's name is. So <laughs> it's probably going to be just as good. But this one is for sure one of um, our most favorite and ones. And don't you just want to think this? Is that Paul, all of a sudden, it's almost like he's like, I could make you a list of all the reasons that I'm the least. And I think that is so human to do that. Like, I think we could make a list too, mm -hmm. you know? Let me give you a list, God, of why you might not want me on your team, why I should be picked last. And then all of a sudden it's like, but listen, at the top of the list of why you should be chosen is actually grace. Mm. And you could be something different. You get to be. Yeah. That gets to be your story now. Right. If you're standing in his story, yours gets to be different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Amen. Now, this whole chapter, what he's trying to do here when he tells this story at the beginning is he's just like, let's just lay out what it is that makes a Christian a Christian. And it is this, that Jesus came to the world. He died for our sins. He was buried and he was resurrected. Right? Now, if Jesus really did die, was buried, and was resurrected, then he's more than just a street preacher. He's more than just an influencer. He's more than just a new way of thinking and a new way of looking and approaching life. We actually want Jesus to be the Messiah. We want him to be the king. We don't want this to be a fairy tale. And the greatest evidence that it's not a fairy tale is the resurrection. If he really predicted and then pulled off his death, burial, and resurrection, then he, then he trumps Caesar, and he trumps any political power or authority, and he is the king of kings, is who he is. And every promise he's made, and every prophecy he's spoken, and everything he says about me and you is not just wishful thinking, but the gospel truth. Right? And so he says, that moment in time 
changed everything. It changed the whole world is what it did. And he mentions the people who saw him as evidence. He's like, listen, and that's not just something that like an idea that started flowing up. People saw him. They were witnesses of his resurrection. And when they saw him back from the dead, they were like, well, I heard it spoken, like spoken, taught, whatever, like this once. The greatest evidence that Jesus is the Christ is the resurrection. And the greatest evidence of the resurrection are witnesses. And their lives came, became completely different once they encountered the resurrected Jesus, like the resurrected King. And he goes through and he just says this. Um, verse 14, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. Every hope and promise and prophecy that you hold on to, if he wasn't risen from the grave, it is in vain. And he says in verse 15, and we will be found false witnesses because we testified that God raised him up. And if he didn't, then we're liars and we're wasting our lives and we're wasting our thoughts and our energy on this. If the dead not rise, if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, verse 17, your faith is in vain and you're still in your sins. If he didn't raise from the grave, I don't, rise from the grave, sorry. <laughs> like what? <laughs> if he did not rise from the grave, then sin has not properly been dealt with. The cross was just a horrible execution and the world is still the same broken place that it always was. But then in verse 20, and, and he would say, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. Like if that's the case, then we are miserable. But he says this, but now Christ is risen from the dead and did become the first fruits of them that slept. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And and this is his like anthem. This is his like, this is what the, the banner he wants to wave to everybody to know that. Go down to the very end of the chapter. And it says um, this right here, where starting in, where was I? Oh, in 52. Mm. He says this. Um, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, we shall be changed. He just says that resurrection of Jesus Christ initiated a change. The reversal of the fall has begun. And he says, and it will continue until a final moment when everything will be set right again. And the resurrection is like the witness that that is happening. This, uh, they condemned him to death. They condemned him a criminal and they put him in the ground and then God reversed the decision. And now it means that everything can be reversed. Everything broken and sinful and, and, and dead because of the fall or decisions that we make can be reversed and put right again. And he says this, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is your victory? And he says, thanks be to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I, we put this phrase up here for the title, when death was arrested, because they all tried to arrest Jesus, but really his intention was to arrest death and put it under his foot. All enemies 
It says, oh, where's that verse? It's so good in here because you just want to maybe memorize it for your whole life. <laughs> oh, verse 24. Then come at the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. That that is the promise. That is the hope that we get. That's the gospel that we get to stand in and live in. That he's like, he reversed all of this. Like he's, he made all good things possible. And the witness of that is the resurrection. Like the proof of that is the resurrection. It's like the symbol of it that stands through time. That's why I kind of love that that Christus is like the kind of like the, the symbol of the, of our faith, right? It's just like, oh, the resurrected Jesus, the one that like reversed death, that took something that was dead and turned it into that. Imagine what he can do with your life. Imagine what he can do with your relationships. Imagine what he can do with this entire world. If he can take from a grave to a resurrected splendor, then that's, that's a witness of what he can do with anyone and, and everything. And that's why this chapter is, is so, so rad. Now that very last verse, I had somebody ask me the other day if like, wait, if you keep saying that like, if, um, if Christ won the victory, if, if it's already, you know, if it's already been won, if it's already been declared, if it's already, you know, happened, then why do we emphasize so much um, good works and being good? And Paul says in verse 58, therefore my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Um, what he's saying is, instead of, uh, I've heard it said like this before. Salvation was the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And it was won for us. That was his victory. But discipleship, our response to that victory, that requires our good works and our whole heart, might, mind, and strength. We're called we're compelled to live differently because of what happened and to take that story and to take that rescue and to take that hope into all the world. Like that's what, that's what we're talking. That's the place of those good works in our life. It's like, oh, I want to give this to everybody. I want to live in response. I want to, what was that phrase that was in the, um, this right here in grace that it's the divine influence upon the heart and it's reflection in the life, right? That steadfast, the immovableness, like those things are that the reflection of that grace in my life. And I just love the idea that, don't you just want to say, a story that good actually changes you. Yeah. Like I can walk out of a movie that's a good story and I'm like, oh yeah, I want to live different. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I'm like, this is good. Like that inspired me. And it's almost like he's like, listen, let me tell you this story because it's actually going to change you. Yeah. That's the thing. Once you hear it, you're different. Right. Once you live in it, once you're standing in it, you cannot help but start doing the work of the Lord. Right. You can't even help it. Right. Right. Someone that can take the worst possible thing imaginable, death, the worst thing, and turn it into a celebration. Like, oh, that's something that's, that's too big to, that's something to celebrate. Yeah. You know? And it, it also makes like my efforts to try and love well and introduce the rescue story of Jesus to other people. Like, it makes me feel like he's going to, it's not through yet. Like, right? Like the resurrection was mm. sort of like, he was the first fruits of them that slept. 
And in one day, one in the end, it'll all be made right. But we're living in that in-between. We're living in that place where it's already, he's already defeated death and sin, but we have not yet seen the full like playing out of it all, the full blessings of it. And we're living somewhere in between. And what he's saying here is everything that you do to try to bring that goodness and hope and love into this world, it, it matters. God's going to take it and he's going to magnify it and he's going to multiply it and, it and it matters and it's going to contribute in the end to the final like beautiful scene that he's going to create. Like that's what's going to end up happening. This quote right here is, is just one of my most favorite. It's by a scholar's name is N.T. Wright where he explains what Christianity is in his mind. He says, Christianity, you see, isn't a set of ideas. It isn't a path of spirituality. It isn't a rule of life. It isn't a political agenda. It includes and indeed gives energy to all those things. But at its very heart, it is something different. It is good news about an event which has happened in the world, an event because of which the world can never be the same again. And those who believe it and live by it will, thank God, never be the same again either. That's what 1 Corinthians 15 is all about. That quote, all these quotes, by the way, you can find in the app. Like the PDF of all of these are saved in the app. And if you don't want to like screenshot this and like zoom in on it or, or something like that. It. Oh, and speaking of the app, this song for sure will be the song oh, of you, In the Dailies. You have to listen in the to dailies. it. Yeah, but you just, when death was arrested, I think that's the name of it. Um, but I, <laughs> <laughs> that's the best just line. Just search that. Yeah, if you just Google that, this, might, this song is First Corinthians 15 song. And it might be your anthem. And or, you should listen to it before you read it. You're going to like it more. Yeah, for sure. And after. While you read it. Yeah, you just let this play in the background because this song is so awesome. It's totally one that you want. Um, you guys, and then it's the end, which is so sad. Um, it's chapter 16. <laughs> most <laughs> <Isn't> that sad? <laughs> <laughs> This is sad. This is sad part. You don't 16? think? Yes, well, David. Just... It's because you. This is sad to me. Second Corinthians is coming. Yeah, I know, but this part is so sad. Listen, this is why it's sad. David doesn't get it. Let me tell you why. It's because, <clears throat> whoa, most Bible scholars think that he spent probably eighteen months in Corinth, which is a tender number. Okay, that's a tender number okay, for me. Yeah. See, this is, gets cuter. And, and it's sad. Okay, this is okay. why. You feel like you're saying goodbye to Sacramento yeah, right now. Yeah, it's okay, because okay. if you're a girl and you 18 months automatically just like matches a mission. Yeah. And um, it's like a little tiny farewell, but it's going to introduce you to a way of life that is so captivating to me. And Paul's going to introduce it. It starts in verse six. And it's his goodbye, which is already tender. And I am the, I hate goodbyes, you guys. That is like my weakness. I'm a crier and I don't say goodbye well. And it's almost this moment that he's trying to say goodbye. And he starts saying Never all mind, these, I did remember that he doesn't actually get to come back to them. Yeah, because it was, Cause this was after. Because he thinks he gets to. Yeah, see? And he's going to go to Rome. Now you're yeah. sad. Okay, now you're sad. Okay, fair. Told you it is sad, fair, everyone. It fair. is sad. Um, and he starts saying, and it may be that I will stay, that I'll abide, and I'll spend winter with you. This is verse six. Six. Yeah. 
and that you may bring me on my journey with so, whithersoever I go. But I will not see you now, by the way. But I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. All of a sudden, he's showing you a life surrendered. Mm. That he's like, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. And maybe I'll get to stay. And maybe I won't get to come back. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But I'm going to live my life with him. And if he says yes, I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come back and I'm going to come so fast. If he says no, then I'm going to trust you're going to be taken care of and that I'm going to be sent where I need to be. And when I read these verses, it just makes me think of the phrase, I don't know. And that maybe living a life surrendered is being okay with living a life in the I don't know. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I actually don't know what's going to happen next. And that's okay. Because I know that a life in the I don't know isn't a life unguided. Right. That he's going to say, no, you can, you can go here. Let me take you where you need to be. And there's going to be ifs and there's going to be maybes and there's going to be unsure moments. But I'm going to get you where you need to go. Yeah. And, and coming off of chapter 15, you're just like, I can put, I can actually rest in, I don't know, if the Lord's at the helm. The resurrected King of Kings. You know? Yeah. If that chapter 15 Jesus is the one moving and guiding this work, then I can actually live in the maybe and the whithersoever and the trust and the if. Right? I can, I can live in that because I don't know all of those, but I do know him. And that, can, and that will give me... I saw this, this little clip the other day where it says, you jump into an Uber with an unknown driver and are fine. And you get into a plane with a pilot you've never met and you're okay. And you jump onto a ship with a captain that you've never seen his credentials and you don't worry. So why are you worried about your life if the God you do know is at the wheel and at the helm? And it makes me think of so many different circumstances when this verse would be an anthem for you. And maybe sometimes it's you're with a group of friends and God's saying, hey, it's actually time to go. And in your heart, you might be like, I don't know if I'm ready to say bye. I don't know if I'm ready to stop having lunch with them. Mm. I actually don't know if I'm ready to not be invited to go places with them. I don't know if I'm ready to spend Friday nights all by myself. But if God's at the helm, then maybe it's a little bit easier to say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. And maybe I'm not going to talk to you again. And maybe I'm not going to see you for a while. But if he's in charge, I'm okay to go. Yeah. That's going to be fine. And maybe it's moments that you're like, hey, I actually am really scared to enter into that situation. Yeah. And that friendship. And this is somewhere I've never gone before. This is a job I've never done. This is an invitation I've never accepted. Yeah. This is something that scares me a lot. It's okay to live in the I don't know what's going to happen next with it. Yeah. Because if he's in charge, it's going to be okay. Yeah. And, and I, I think that a lot with, I mean, with my own self to, to be in that, I, I don't know what tomorrow will bring. And I don't know if this is going to work out or that, you know. But I've now entered to a new place of trust in this, which is in sending off Jack you know, on a mission and just thinking, I don't know what will happen. And, and it's, you know, and, and I don't know how, how long, there's a lot of ifs and there's a lot of withersoevers and there's a lot of maybes, but there's trust. I, I, I trust 
putting them into the hands of God because I, I know those hands and their hands pierced with love and, and their hands that are devoted and their hands of, of grace. And so it makes it where I'm able to do that, to place my own life and, and now to trust the lives of my kids, you know, into, into the hands of, uh, of God. So it's a new phase for me, a new kind of, of, of trust, but it's the same, it's the same Jesus, it's the same Lord, you know, that, that, and it's the same event that gives me that, that trust. Like, we, we shouldn't live our lives the way that we do, as confidently as we do, as hopeful as we do, you know, with the world around us, but everything is different because, because of what happened on that first Easter morning, because he conquered all of our enemies and, and he gave the greatest prophecy of all, which is everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be right in the end. And I'm going to take everything that you give and every effort that you have, and I'm going to weave it into this, to this beautiful setting right of, of creation again. Like, that's what we get, that's what we get to stand in. And that's the gospel we get to stand in. What could he do with you Yeah. when you start to live a life fully surrendered? Yeah. Of, hey, here's my life. Take it. It's yours. You tell me where to go, and I'm there because what wherever you take me is going to be better than where I could find on my own. Yeah, amen. Woo! All right, y'all. Say goodbye to First Corinthians. That's it's really sad. sad. It's and actually now... sad, everyone. <laughs> and now Second Corinthians next time. We'll see you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.